You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. This morning I'll be reading from various proverbs listed in your bulletin. I'll be reading first in Spanish and then in English. We do this occasionally so that we are reminded of our global faith. It's a glimpse into eternity when people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be gathered around God's throne worshiping him together. Donde no hay dirección sabia, caerá el pueblo. Más en la multitud de consejeros hay seguridad. El que anda con sabios, sabio será. Más el que se junta con necios será quebratado. Su deseo busca el que se desvía y se entremente en todo negocio. El hombre que tiene amigos ha de mostrarse amigo. Y a amigo hay más unido que un hermano. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is the word of the law of the Lord. Community, it's a buzzword around Christianity over the last decade or so. We're all about community. It's important to have Christian community. We, the church, are a faith community, and for good reason. Turns out community is a very important part of being human. A social psychologist described it this way, belonging is primal, fundamental to our sense of happiness and well-being. Our interests, motivation, health, and happiness are inextricably tied to the feeling that we belong to a greater community. You are overall happier and healthier as a result of being a part of community. Now today, it's common to hear things like, I've got my community at the gym. Clearly, I'm speaking about myself right now. Um, Solid group of people, you know, we're about health and fitness and helping each other reach our goals. Or, you know, I've got my community at school. Our proximity on campus and short, sort of our shared experience is what bonds us together. Or I've got my community with my extended family. Or I spend so much time at work, my community is my coworkers, and so on. And while it's important to have a diverse group of relationships, especially if we're concerned about leading people to Christ... And we should have meaningful relationships in all of these different spheres, but the Proverbs are pressing us to consider the company that we do keep. And these verses that we're looking at today address the layers of community that I think that we often fail to consider. Today is not really going to be about why community is important, although that is there. And often teachings on Christian community are why community is important. Again, that element is here, but the Proverbs are really gonna stress the topic of the quality of the community that you keep. Because as we're told in one of those Proverbs, a a man may have many companions and still come to ruin. You can all go down together. 
The point here is not about the quantity of our relationships. It's about the quality. Okay, you've got community, big deal. What kind? What kind? Which is a significant question to ask ourselves, especially because as we see here, and this is sort of the main point, the main point is you become like the company that you keep, for better or for worse. So if you're taking notes, here's what we're going to look at. We need community that steers us, shapes us, and sticks together. Let's begin with a community that steers us. Verse, chapter 11, verse 14. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is what? Safety. It's probably one of the deepest longings of your soul, by the way, whether you know it or not. Safety. Without guidance, a people, a community, falls apart, withers away, disintegrates. And the word here, guidance, is a really important word because it's a nautical term. It's a maritime word. It has to do with rope pulling and steering and directing a ship like hands on the helm of a ship. The picture is that of a community in an abundance of counselors, them being a part of that process of steering our lives, every hand on deck. One of the many treasures that we find in a hundred-year-old building like this is the various pieces of art tucked away in old closets and old abandoned spiderweb classrooms and those sort of things. And one of which is this. It tells a beautiful story, you know, in the storms of life. I can find confidence in the fact that Jesus of European descent, naturally, He's got his hand on my shoulder. He's with me. He's telling me which way to go. I can't figure that out on my own. He's there, though. He's got his hand on my shoulder. When I'm lost, Jesus guides me. Me and Jesus at the helm. Jesus, take the wheel. Here's the problem. This is not the way that the Bible describes the guidance that the Lord brings in our lives. The Bible does not describe Jesus and me at the helm of this thing. In the New Testament, the church is described in many ways, but in one specific way, the church is described as the body of Christ, which means the physical embodiment of the risen Jesus is in among his people through his people. Another way that we say this, sort of a shorthand way that we say this, is that the church is the hands and the feet of Jesus. And if this is true, and I believe it is true, that Jesus is the hands and feet of Jesus, then what this means for us is that the guidance that God provides for us, his hand on our shoulder, him directing the way, him pointing in the direction that we should go, is often going to come through his people. Wisdom, maturity, growth in our discipleship involves releasing our grip of control and now giving permission to other people to help steer our lives. This conversation dovetails into our previous conversation last week about decision-making. Consider the amount of decisions that we make today on our own that in prior generations were never decisions that people made on their own. One example is the person that I should marry. Who should I marry? Now today, the way to answer that question really is, you well, you follow your heart. 
and you, you do your homework and you, you open your eyes and you consider, is this the right person? Is this the person that I could see myself spending the rest of my life with? Or maybe if you were spiritual, you'll pray about it. I prayed about it. I feel like the Lord's in it. Whereas in prior generations, or even in cultures that still exist in this world today, it would have been unheard of to make this decision on your own. Michelle had a student years ago that came from a country and a culture where arranged marriages is still the norm. And she asked this young person, when you grow up, do you want an arranged marriage or do you want the ability to choose for yourself? And this young child's answer was remarkable. She said, arranged, because I trust the people making that decision for me. So today's not a message about arranged marriages, by the way. You're like, oh, crap. Um, today's not a message about arranged marriages, but here's what I want to kind of poke at. Our difficulty to even fathom, to like even fathom relinquishing that level of control for the course of our lives to others illustrates how far down the road of individualism we have all come. And maybe that's not weird. Maybe historically, we're the weird ones. Joseph Hellerman put it this way, the choices we possess in our radically individualistic society have come at a tremendous emotional price. We pay dearly in the stress department for our freedom to decide for ourselves, and as a result, many of us are now emotionally bankrupt. Without guidance, people fall apart. Maybe you are experiencing this kind of brokenness and falling apart and disintegration in your life, in your emotional health, in your relationships, in your family due to a lack of guidance. Or let me say it differently. Maybe you are crumbling under the weight of your demand for independence. Maybe you are killing yourself slowly because of your demand for control. But verse 14 says, but in abundance, in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. So this is describing so much more than just simply getting a second opinion. This is so much more than calling up that old friend that you know is gonna agree with you in every, you know that ride or die friend? It doesn't matter what you're doing. You're like, you, you go girl, I'm with you. Whatever you wanna do, I'm, you do it, you do you. The Proverbs call us to have an abundance of counselors, a multitude of counselors. So let me share a Bible story here from 1 Kings. The 1 Kings 12, it reads, we read about the story of a king named Rehoboam. It's the son of Solomon, the great wise king who wrote many of the Proverbs that we're looking at. When Solomon died, the young Rehoboam takes the reign and immediately some leaders from the northern portion of Israel come down and they say, listen, would you loosen our bonds? Would you make it easier for us to all get along here? And it reads like this, then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, they will be your servants forever. 
but he abandoned the counsel that the old man gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, what do you advise that we, that we answer this people who have, given, who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. Weird burn there. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Great advice. Isn't it interesting, though? He decided to disregard the first counsel before he even heard the second. And it divided the kingdom forever. In an abundance of counselors, which means many voices, a diverse group of voices, those who are not going to tell you the same thing, you have to be willing to hear people who are going to disagree with you, and you've got to hear them out. You're going to have to be aware of the way that you tend to gravitate towards people who are most like you and think and believe most like you. You're going to have to be willing to hear people that challenge you. You're going to have to be willing to hear people tell you to rethink your approach. You're going to have to be willing to be told you're wrong. You're going to have to refuse to be thin-skinned about it. Can we please be a church that is not thin-skinned? I can't abide. Man, I can't abide. Refuse being easily offended. This is a word for me, by the way. Refuse to write people off when they tell you something you didn't want to hear. And ultimately, here's the thrust of it all. You're going to have to trust God that this is his design for all of this. That this isn't a mistake. Person next to you, they're not a mistake. They're not here by chance. This is a God-designed process for leading you. And that this is the way that he desires to bring guidance in your life. You, I, need a community that steers us. Amen? Secondly, a community that shapes us. Look at me in chapter 13, verse 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So the basic principle that we see here is that you will take on the shape of the community that you belong to for better or for worse. The person that you are becoming right now is directly related to the community that you belong to. Your community is either making you more wise or it is making you more foolish. The only thing that it's not doing is nothing. The community that you're a part of is either causing you to reflect the character and nature of Jesus Christ more and more or reflect the character and nature of something less. I love the way that David Brooks put it. He said, human beings are decent at learning, but fantastic at imitating. We cannot help but imitate the groups that we're a part of. So back in May, I spent less than one week with my brother, in the south, in Texas, with his family and his southern little children and his friends and his church community. I'm telling you, five days, five freaking days, I started speaking with a little bit of a southern draw. <laughs> like, I couldn't help but, like, pick up what was going on down there. Your interests, 
your habits, your ways of thinking, your ways of speaking, your ways of spending, your ways of emoting, your self-expression, your goals, your pursuits, your self-image, your attitude about life, even your spiritual formation, your prayer life, and your involvement in the kingdom of God, all of it is being formed by the people that you spend the most time with. So maybe you recognize that when you're around people who are constantly negative and critical, you find yourself beginning to be negative and critical about everything. It changes your lens. Think about that friendship group, that when everyone is together, they tend to drink too much, objectify women, idolize money, talk crap about spouses, gossip, fill in the blank. Honestly, does the group conform to you or do you begin to conform to the group? Don't kid yourself. We've all been there. We have all been there. We know exactly what happens. We compromise. We decline. And we slowly but surely, as the Proverbs describe, become companions of fools. We think that we're rational. We think that we're, because we're educated or whatever, we're these like independent thinkers that know how to think for ourselves and we're not easily swayed when in reality, we conform. In Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world because the assumption is that's the most natural thing to do, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, as much as this is true of foolishness, as much as this is true of worldliness and decline, here's the redemptive element. It is also true of wisdom. The one who walks with the wise becomes wise. When a community is marked by wisdom, you are elevated to a place of wisdom. This is God's design for making you a wise person. And and even like leadership gurus and like outside the Christian world, they understand this. I think it was the, uh, the creator of Dell. Dude, you're getting a Dell. He once said this, try never to be the smartest person in the room. You get what he's saying there? Like surround yourself with people that are gonna make you better. Surround yourself with people that are beyond you in years, beyond you in experience or for the sake of this sermon, beyond you in spiritual maturity and beyond you in biblical wisdom. And through that proximity, it is going to impact your character for the good. You are gonna be changed for the better. So what this proverb should be doing, and I once in a while get to do big things like this and essentially tell you you should reconsider your life. But I really do think you should. This should compel us to take an assessment of our life. Amen. And consider the circles that you run in and the communities that right now you identify with. What is the fruit of those relationships? Are they bringing refinement in your life or are they leading to a slow, subtle, steady spiritual decline? Do you find yourself motivated to pursue the things of God more or motivated to chase after lesser things? Are your relationships resulting in Christ-like character or are they tending towards compromise? Now here's the big question that you may be asking. Am I saying that you need to end relationships right now? 
Maybe. You were hoping for a no. I set it up for a no. But the answer is maybe. I don't know. I can't answer that for you. But here's what I can say. It can't be off the table. Right? It can't be off the table. Multiple times, Jesus talks about the disciple who is unworthy to follow him because they are unwilling to cut certain ties. I don't know if you need to end a relationship today. If you tell yourself immediately that you don't, maybe you need to second guess that. I don't know if you need a clean break from certain communities today, but based on some conversations I've had in the church, the answer actually may be yes. But what I do know, and this is what I'm gonna speak into confidently, what I do know is the kinds of relationships that you do need to go all into today. And it's the ones that are marked by godly wisdom, the ones that are marked by refinement, and the ones that are marked by encouragement in Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, I do know what community that you should be investing a significant amount of your time in, and that is the body of Christ, the church, the church community, the community of faith. And here's why, because the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter three says that it's through the church that God has decided to make his manifold wisdom known throughout all time. In other words, God is channeling it all through the church. And so in order to experience God's transforming work in your life, you are going to need to press into these relationships that are marked by godly wisdom and righteousness. Now, I understand an objection that may come up at this point, and it's a good objection, and it's this, that the Bible describes Jesus as a friend of what? Friends of sinners. Jesus spent a lot of time with the unreligious. In fact, the accusation of the religious community was often like, look who Jesus is spending all this time with. They, prob they probably threw Proverbs in his face. And it's a valid point to consider. But I think it'd be wise to keep a couple things in mind. First, is that while we seek to live and love like Jesus, you are not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. We are not as wise as Jesus is, we are not as discerning as Jesus is, and we are not sinless as Jesus is. Jesus is the friend of sinners who didn't become foolish through his association with foolishness, but makes us wise by his wisdom. Jesus can do that, you can't. And secondly, the best way for friends of sinners to be transformed, or let me, let me, let me say it this way, the best way to become a friend of sinners is as a community. It's by welcoming those who are not here yet to be a part of the community to be healed and transformed. Instead of us off on our own as sitting ducks, being caught up in foolishness and worldliness, bringing others into the community of faith where they can receive healing and transformation in the name of Jesus. You don't do it alone. We do this together, amen? Finally, a community that sticks together. Are you still with me? Okay, chapter 18, verse one, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. There's a story from church history that I love. It's told by Eusebius, and it's concerned, so it's extra biblical, it, but it's a story about 
the Apostle John. And the story goes that John was returning from exile on Patmos, and he was traveling throughout the various towns where churches had been planted, and he's, helped strength, he's helping to strengthen the church. And in Ephesus, there's a young man who he's fond of, and he's concerned about his growth and godliness. And so knowing that John has to leave, he pulls aside one of the leaders, and he says, pay extra you know, attention to this young man. Make sure he's being discipled. And so as John leaves, he's baptized, he's discipled in the faith, but Unfortunately, over the course of time, the young man gets caught up in the wrong crowd. The f- there's fun and there's partying that then leads to uh, robbery. And sooner than later, he becomes the ringleader of this crew. And even during this time, the story goes that his conscience was still sort of beating against his heart. But assuming that he was kind of too far gone, he, he went sort of headfirst into this lifestyle. In fact, Eusebius describes him like this. He was a bold bandit chief, the most violent, most bloody, most cruel of them all. So he fell off the deep end. But not long after, John returned to Ephesus and he asked this church leader, where is the young man? And the leader begins to cry and he says, he's dead. He's dead to God. He turned wicked and he's now a robber and now... Instead of the church, he haunts the mountain with a group like himself. John, who was about 80 years old at the time, is not convinced. And so he calls for a horse, and he ascends the hill. And when he approached the band of robbers, the story goes that the young man recognized that it was John, and in shame, he began to flee. By the way, this is what sin causes us to do. When we are confronted with the life of Christ and a call back into repentance, our most natural uh, proclivity is to turn and run the opposite direction. We all do this. But John, quote, forgets his age, pursues him with all of his might, and yells, why, my son, do you flee from me? Your own father, he's speaking as being a spiritual father, your own father, unarmed, aged, my son, fear not, you still have hope of life. I will give an account to Christ for you. If need be, I will willingly endure your death as the Lord suffered death for us. For you, I will give my life. Stand, believe, and listen to these words. Christ has sent me. Christ has sent me to you. The young man stops in his tracks, turns around, throws down his weapons, begins to weep. He repents, and he returns. Now, our our story may not be as dramatic as that, maybe. But all of us face situations and seasons where we too are tempted to isolate ourselves. We all experience what has been called the inextricable, I'm sorry, inexplicable urge to push people away, often people that we love. Just like our first parents in the garden, because of sin, we hide from God, and we hide from others. We are tempted to break away from the community that would challenge us, but by God's grace, he pursues us. How? Christ has sent me. He pursues us through the persistent community. Through the community that refuses to say they're too far gone. Verse 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's a photo from a news article from a few years ago 
This was a man uh, who was approach, who approached a, a high bridge with the intention of ending his own life. He was going to take the leap. And the news article says this: a small crowd gathered around the man who teetered on the edge of the footbridge and gripped onto him tightly, refusing to let him go. And for hours. Who knew what the other things that these people had going on in their lives, what important appointments and meetings and picking up the... They stood there for hours, hanging on, taking off their belts, and finding anything that they could find to secure him. Look at that dude down by his calves. I appreciate the art that I showed earlier. Not that much, actually. But this, this is an illustration worth remembering. It's a picture of a community that refuses to let people isolate themselves and the result of isolating themselves fall into spiritual ruin. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his famous book, Life Together, said, nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their own sin." And nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. How backwards have we gotten that? I'm just trying to be kind, so I'm going to give them their freedom. How cruel. How cruel. So what motivates us to do this sort of thing? What motivates us, especially when this is going to be costly and it's going to be emotionally taxing? What motivates us to be this kind of community that stubbornly sticks together, that locks our fingers and says we're not letting go, is the good news that Jesus has done this for us. It's the love of Christ that draws us out of isolation. It's the love of Christ that brings us out of hiding that is the result of sin. He brings us out of that place of running from God and others and brings us into the family of God, into the Community of the redeemed. Ultimately, as I look at this verse, the friend who sticks closer than a brother is Jesus. Jesus who said in John chapter 10, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus in John 15 said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, for those who are in Christ through faith, for those who have trusted in the death of Jesus on the cross, which forgives us of our sins, reconciles us to God and his family, for those who have hoped in the powerful resurrection of Christ that brings life and eternity and freedom, there is now nothing, and I mean nothing, that can separate us from him. Remember the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8, for I am sure that neither death nor light nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God in Christ Jesus means that he refuses to ever let us go. In that same love, that same love 
that is now at work in us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit means we stick together with others as well. God's people, we, are bound together with that sort of inseparable love. That is our bond. That is the power of our unity. That is the hope of this community. So today, perhaps, there's a call that you need to make. Maybe there's a text message you need to respond to. Maybe there's a handshake or a hug that you've been withholding. Maybe there's forgiveness that needs to be extended. Maybe for some, today is the day where you go from sort of existing on the fringes of church community to becoming a member. Signing up to belong, to be a covenant partner with this local church. And my hope and prayer is that even today for some, this may be the day where you finally come out of hiding. You come out of isolation. You trust in Jesus for salvation. You surrender your life to him and experience the benefit of being a part of his family through faith. I don't know exactly what you need to do, but I know it centers on Jesus today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for...